Welcome to the Calvary Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Episcopal Church recorded live in Memphis. The Calvary Podcast is weekly sermons, but also conversations, reflections, and provocations about the mystery of God and what it means to be human in the world in need of repair. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Did Jesus' blunt instruction burn through the fog of anybody else this Sunday morning today? A lot's going on in this gospel reading. A new disciple is called and he follows. There's grumbling about Jesus' questionable choices in friends and that memorable comment about well people not needing doctors. A leader of the synagogue asks Jesus to raise his daughter from the dead. And as they're on their way to the house where he will do just that, a woman touches the hem of Jesus' cloak and gets healed. It's a busy scene, isn't it? And yet every time I read it, I feel like Jesus pauses in the midst of all that bustle, looks up and says, you, yeah you, I want you to go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Well, in this week I read it when I de- while Ardell and I were in Atlanta with our youth director Jeremy and seven of Calvary's young people, and we were actually visiting a place called Mercy Church. The timing was actually very inconvenient for me. I was hoping for a divine acknowledgement of some of the sacrifices we just endured. <laughs> I mean, for someone my age, sleeping on a cheap mattress on a gym floor for a week feels like an act of self-denial that would have... <laughs> What a move to lost soul right through purgatory once upon a time. (laughs) Add to that that lights out was at the ungodly hour of, get this, 10.30 p.m. You can see that I'd gathered up a nice little collection of personal sacrifices to show off, only to hear that they're of no interest to God at all. Mercy is what catches God's attention, we're told. Mercy, not sacrifice, is what God desires. Well, Mercy's Church, it describes itself as a grassroots, ecumenical, open and affirming congregation that meets in the basement of a big church on a busy street in the heart of Atlanta. We believe that God desires life, health, dignity, and sanctuary for us all. Whether you're in housing or not, whether you live in our neighborhood or come from far away, whether you love the church or have ever felt left out, we want to welcome you as we work to build one another up in beloved community seems worth noting that while life can actually be very hard for pretty much everyone at Mercy Church, sacrifice is nowhere to be found in its self-description. It at least aspires to be a community that's built up from the abundance of gifts of the people who gather in that church basement. Let me describe Mercy Church in a little more detail before we dig deeper into Jesus' teaching. It was founded 18 years ago by Pastor Chad, who wears cowboy boots, matching Wrangler jacket and jeans, and a big straw Stetson. The silver buckle on his belt is so big, I'm not quite sure how he sits down in a chair. (laughs) But it bears the image of the Virgin Mary, which is the only visible evidence that your first impression of Chad might be incomplete. Pastor Chad becomes only more complex when you hear that he got the call to found this scrappy little ministry while he was on clergy staff at a Pentecostal megachurch in Atlanta. 
Although you might have guessed the Pentecostal part by the way he can turn declarative sentences into questions by adding amen at the end. As in, the grits Jim stirred up this morning are perfect, amen? (laughs) Y'all know how to do that? If you ask one of our youth about Mercy Church, you'll probably hear about folks like Upunga, a gentle Kenyan who rode out Hurricane Harvey in the back of an open semi-trailer in Houston and then took the Red Cross up on a free Greyhound ticket to Atlanta the next day. Or Daniel, who was truthfully commending his worn copy of Richard III to one of the youth leaders when I met him, and who told me he loves James Weldon Johnson and Maya Angelou just as much. I was amazed to see how immediately our young people understood that Christie was not laughing hysterically at them, but at voices no one heard but her as we prayed the rosary with two sisters of charity one morning. And all the kids listened so attentively and followed instructions so carefully as a neighbor named Doug, who may have slept outside the night before, showed them all how to make meatloaf for 70. Of course, we have our own cast of eccentric characters here at Calvary, on the staff, in the congregation, in the neighborhood. Every human community, large or small, is unique. But if Jesus is to be trusted, I wonder if a challenge that all these human communities share is how to make mercy its defining, sac- uh, defining feature rather than sacrifice. The saying came from Hosea. So it was already 700 years old when Jesus spoke it. I happen to think it's a helpful lens to look at things through all these centuries later. Which is why I may have learned just as much by watching the youth from Calvary and those from Round Rock Presbyterian in Texas make community just among themselves. I got to see how they navigated risk and insecurities, shame and vulnerability. I saw them display the courage and kindness that all community making requires. New friends tended to old wounds and to fresh hurts in one another, made mistakes, asked forgiveness, established boundaries, pulled down barriers. Maybe the first gift in traveling to another place with other people is just seeing the dynamics that are always in play everywhere when we make community. Or to use a notion I preached about a couple of weeks ago, to see the liturgy of our life together in this liturgical cosmos with fresh eyes. We noted earlier that Matthew 9 is a very busy chapter in the Bible with the calling of Matthew, the raising of a child, the healing of a woman's long struggle with hemorrhages. There are even flute players and a crowd of mourners who laugh at Jesus when he tells them the dead girl's only sleeping. The story is more populated than personal, wouldn't you say? So personal piety doesn't seem to be its point. Maybe Jesus is telling each of us to pay attention to the communities we form and inhabit when he says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. It's been 15 years since the publication of a book by Peter Block titled Community, The Structure of Belonging. And in it, he doesn't explicitly use the language of mercy and sacrifice, but he talks a lot about communities of abundant gifts and transactional communities of scarcity. And he says communities of scarcity tend to frame their challenges in terms of solving problems rather than restoring a community that's broken down. Think about this for a moment. Think about your family or about Calvary or about Memphis. 
And think about how we frame our challenges. Do we talk about problems like violence and poverty and climate change and crime and homelessness? I think all of us, left, right, and center, tend to see the world as a set of problems to be solved in a world of scarce resources. Well, Peter Block says this, Holding on to the view that community is a set of problems to be solved holds us in the grip of retribution. At every level of society, we live in the landscape of retribution, and the retributive community is sustained by the marketing of fear and fault, gravitation toward more laws and oversight, marginalizing hope and possibility, and devaluing associational life to the point of invisibility. We're not going to unpack all of those claims, but if that's what the landscape of retribution looks like, don't you think we live only more deeply within it now than we did way back in 2008? Peter Block contrasts communities of retribution with communities of restoration. Jesus contrasts communities of mercy with communities of sacrifice. I think these may be different ways of talking about the same truth. Retribution and sacrifice are about settling scores, aren't they? Whether the score is with God or with an enemy or with the person across the dinner table from you. But mercy can never be extended in order to get even. If the score gets settled, it's not mercy. Mercy is always a gift. And it's always about the restoration of some community, whether that's a community of two or twenty or ten million. So maybe the question Jesus is still pressing upon us is about what it means for any community of humans to be built upon and cohere around mercy instead of sacrifice. What would it look like for us to be bound together by the practice of extending grace and gift in whatever forms they might need to take in a moment rather than keeping score and making sure anyone who gets one thing has sacrificed just so much of another? It seems like a community of mercy assumes a state of abundance, while a community of sacrifice is all about scarcity and the fear that there's just so much of anything to go around. I suspect Mercy Church like Calvary has to struggle every day to stay true to the way of mercy and not fall back into our sacrificial ways of thinking. Sacrifice can be about getting credit for the hard thing I just did, or about making sure this person pays that for what they've done, rather than ask what will actually serve the restoration of community when it breaks down. Jesus says mercy is what we should always try first in the work of restoration. Well, we've wandered around a bit in this attempt to unpack what Jesus might have meant when he said God desires mercy, not sacrifice. But let me leave you with one more instance from the week that might crystallize something else important in all this. Peter Block said that the retributive community gravitates more toward laws and oversight, right? Well, for what seem like very obvious reasons, no community on earth gravitates more toward laws and oversight than a church youth group on a mission trip. I promise you'll never be part of a group in which the words stop doing that are spoken more often. But the most helpful rule our leaders established was one that seems to have loopholes big enough to drive a 15-passenger rental van through. 
Our young people know it as Jeremy's rule. And it is simply this. Don't do anything that would hurt Jeremy's soul. Sure, there were the familiar litanies of what can and can't be packed in your luggage or done to your seatmate. But the kids get Jeremy's rule. They understand it perfectly. And I think it works because it trusts them and it expects them to do the work of interpretation and application. It works because it's about tending to relationship and community, not suffering retribution for infractions. It's a rule that restores rather than punishes. Maybe because it's a request not for sacrifice, but for mercy to be extended from one human soul to another. And each time we manage to do just that, in whatever community we happen to find ourselves in a moment, don't you think we're learning just a little bit more about what Jesus must have when he said, friends, mercy is what I desire most of you. Mercy is what the people nearby most need, not sacrifice. Only mercy. If you're curious about Calvary Episcopal Church, we are an eclectic bunch of Christian people who don't all think the same thoughts or dress the same way or vote for the same candidates or even believe all the same things about the mystery of God and what it means to be human. But we do believe that we need each other because of our differences, not in spite of them, and that God calls us into unity, not uniformity. Subscribe to the Calvary Podcast at calvarymemphis.org podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of 2nd and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee.